and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. A word from Scripture this morning is from the 139th Psalm. This is a translation by the poet Stephen Mitchell, so some of the lines will feel very familiar, and some of them will feel wonderfully strange. Listen for the word of God to you. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You understand everything I do. You are closer to me than my own thoughts. You see through my selfishness and weakness into my inmost self. There is not one corner of my mind that you do not know completely. You are present before me, behind me, and you hold me in the palm of your hand. Such knowledge is too awesome to grasp, so deep I cannot fathom it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and fly to the ends of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your spirit will give me strength. If I rise to heaven, I meet you. If I lie down in hell, you are there. If I plunge through the fear of the terrorist or pierce through the abuser's rage, you are there in your infinite compassion. And my heart rejoices in your joy. You fashioned my inward parts. You knit me in my mother's womb. My soul was not hidden from you when I was being formed in secret, woven in the depths of the world. How can I keep from praising you? I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and all your works are marvelous. Your eyes saw all my actions. They were written down in your book. All my days were created before even one of them was. How measureless is your mind, Lord. It contains inconceivable worlds and is vaster than space, than time. If I ever tried to fathom it, I would be like a child counting the grains of sand on a beach. Search me, Lord. Test me to the depths of my inmost heart. Root out all selfishness from me and lead me in eternal life. 
that is the word of God for us, the people of God, we say, thanks be to God. This has become over the years my favorite psalm. For me, this psalm captures probably more than any other text in the scriptures my felt sense of a God who is. It is hard for any one of us to talk about God. God is not a thing like other things, right? God is not a tree or a house or even like a person. God is being. God's being is underneath and in all things. God's being permeates all of life. Even so, when you and I speak about God, we can't help but speak about God as a person. We're limited to what we know, and how we know others is person to person. So inevitably, we end up talking about a God as a who, as though God were a being, just like you and me. Psalm 139 embraces this paradox. It shows us exactly what it feels like when a a human mind stretches to conceive of God beyond the capacity of our words. The psalmist refers to God here as you, as in you, God, have searched me and known me. But very quickly we see the things that this you is doing are things that no other you can do. Who could be closer to me than my own thoughts? Who could be both in front of me and behind me at the same time? Who is so grand as to hold me in the palm of their hand? The psalm stretches to imagine a God who is as large as the universe itself and at the same time is so small as to be in the synapses firing in your brain. The psalmist imagines a God whose love and care stretches the whole arc of history and over every being that has ever lived, and yet this God is familiar with every contour of your life since you were being formed in your mother's womb. That's the great paradox, right? God is vaster than all space and time, and yet God is with you. With you as if there were no other being in the world. I want to dwell for a moment today on the intimacy of God's being with your being. The nearness of God might feel strange or even uncomfortable to some of you. I've been hearing Margaret's voice, my daughter Margaret's voice this week, and she says, by the way, I have to pay her every time I mention her in a sermon, so (laughs) keep a tally. I hear Margaret's voice when I describe the nearness of God. I hear Margaret calling God a creeper, right? 
You know what I mean by that? Like, this God is maybe a little too close for comfort, watching everything that we do. There's a season in all of our lives when we do not want to think that God sees us and knows us. When we need to feel free from all expectation, free to explore the world, free to transgress boundaries, free to make mistakes, free to discover ourselves without having some divine being looking over our shoulders. All of us have a season in life that is like that. It is called our teens and 20s, right? Pressing against boundaries is part of what it means to be a free being and telling God to go away and get lost and stop hounding me can be part of the exercise of our human freedom. Anytime I meet someone who is a teenager or who is in their 20s, who is pushing back against a God of hyper-moralistic vigilance, I'm like, go on now, do it. There is, however, a shadow side to wanting to be free of a God who sees us and knows us. The shadow side is that when we push God away, then we are truly alone. And being alone is really, really hard. Now, I want to make a distinction this morning. Being by yourself can be delightful. I love spending time by myself. But the hard part of being alone is the feeling of not being known. Feeling like nobody knows you. That's the essence of loneliness. I used to live in New York City, many of you know, and there's no place I've ever lived on earth that is both more crowded and more lonely than New York. You see so many people around you every day, and at some point you come to realize that none of them knows you. You come to terms over time with a basic truth that there is always a distance between you and every other living being. Even those who are in committed relationships this morning, those of us who spend our time with another human being, become aware of the chasm that exists between us. A chasm that is only ever partially bridged, even in relationships of deep love and understanding. We do often walk through the world feeling like nobody knows us. Many philosophers believe that this is the fundamental reality of our human existence, that we are strangers to each other, and most poignantly, we are often strangers to ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian. 
And he wrote one of my favorite books. It's short, which is part of the reason why it's one of my favorite books. And it's called Life Together. It's about how Bonhoeffer thought we could live together in community. And one of the points that he makes is that in order for us to ever be together with others in a healthy way, we have to come to terms with and even accept our loneliness. We can't just fill our loneliness with relationships, thinking that if I just go to church and spend time with those folks, or if I put myself in a lot of social situations and surround myself with friends, that it will somehow meet my needs. Every relationship, Bonhoeffer felt, reveals our solitude. The fact that we are never really known by others. Now for Bonhoeffer, that's what moves us to prayer. That's why we need prayer in our lives. It's why we need to spend time alone with the Psalms. Prayer is that time when each of us can begin to probe the real nature of our loneliness. We can acknowledge in those moments the mysteriousness of our own selves and the elusiveness of our own being. It is only after we have searched for the ground of our being, Bonhoeffer said, that we realize that the truth of ourselves is not found in ourselves. We become open to the possibility that the truth of ourselves may come to us from beyond us. Rowan Williams is the former Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Anglican Church, and one of my favorite modern theologians. He wrote a beautiful essay that looks lovingly at the role of solitude in life. Williams suggests that it is our irreducible loneliness that draws us to Jesus. Jesus, he points out, is the true solitary one. When we read the Passion narratives, which we encounter year after year at Easter, we see how Jesus goes deeper and deeper into solitude. He is misunderstood. He is abandoned. He is denied by his friends and disciples. As the authorities interrogate Jesus, he is unable to speak or be heard. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus is even wordless on the cross except for an agonizing cry. Rowan Williams writes that the enormous, dreadful solitude at the heart of the story of our redemption is where we start in reflecting on our own solitude. The reason why Jesus is alone, Williams says, is because his life so exactly corresponds with what is true. Let me say that again. The reason why Jesus is alone is because his life so exactly corresponds with what is true. 
the more mercy he shows, the more kindness he offers, the more forgiveness he grants, the more love he offers that challenge the powers of the world to the extent that Jesus shows the world what is true and beautiful and good, Jesus finds himself alone. You and I will never embody the truth of solitude like Jesus does. But it is in our solitude that we find our powerful kinship and our union with Christ. It is in our solitude that Christ's humanity begins to become our humanity. And it is with the humanity of Christ in us that we gain a capacity for relationships in which we know and are truly known. We are a mystery to ourselves. If you've ever felt that, you are not strange. We are mysteries to one another. If you've ever felt that, even with your lifelong companion, you are not strange. Even though this mysteriousness is the source of our loneliness, it is also the starting place from which we enter true, healthy, healing relationships. If you acknowledge the mystery of yourself, you can grant that same mystery to others. It then becomes possible for us to truly relate to each other, not on our own terms, but in and through the God upon whom all of us depend. Rowan Williams says it this way, we meet one another in God, in whom your solitude and mine your truth and mine are at last at home. We meet not simply in community, but through God we meet in communion. There is, in fact, a season in our lives when we do not want to think that God sees us and knows us. That yields to a season in our lives when we are afraid that no one sees us and knows us. And that yields in faith to a season in our lives when we know that God sees us and God knows us. And it is that seeing and that knowing that is the source of our relationships and our peace and our joy. Wherever I go, the psalmist says, you are there. We are not alone. We are known. Let the church say,
Amen. Would you please join me in prayer? Creator God, you certainly know all about us. You know when we sit and when we rise. You know all of our thoughts and everything that we may do. You truly know us and you are truly with us, in us, around us. We praise you for we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, fearfully and wonderfully made. Every part of our bodies is a gift to you. And I ask today for healing to those who are struggling with whatever heaviness they are going through. I ask for assistance for those who are unable to get the health care they require strictly based on who they are for those among and around us wanting answers to their bodies when seemingly nothing is wrong, for those in the community who are hungry and cold on these chill evenings. Be present with our unhoused neighbors, people accessing the free 99 fridge, for people who are afraid, for those who are grieving, for people who are lonely. 
for the Haitian Eco Village School, for all of our mission partners, and for those working for justice and peace. Align us in your ways. Search all of our hearts and minds and lead us as we walk in your world, as we are in community with others. We pray this in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray all together, saying, Our divine parent in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We are in this beautiful season of the year, uh, which is not Halloween, although some people think that is a season of the year. Come on up, Susan. Uh, we are in uh, gratitude time in the life of the church, um, and we are inviting all of you to consider uh, your gifts and your giving, not just to the life of this church, but to the life of the world and our community around us. So we're inviting uh, members of this congregation uh, to offer um, a word, and so I want to introduce Elder Susan White to you all this morning to offer a word about uh, generosity. So you, will you welcome Susan? So I'm going to come and actually read because I feel more comfortable if I've got, a, if I've got words in front of me. Um, but so I'm Susan White. I've been a member since my now eight-year-old son was a toddler. Um, and yes, I've served on session as in the role of communications chair for the last few years. Um, and I just wanted to take a moment to talk about what I'm grateful for about North Decatur. And there's so much I could mention, um, but something occurred a few weeks ago that really moved me, and that's the story I want to share today. So the setting was NDPC was hosting a meeting to talk with our Medlock neighbors about their concerns over the free fridge. Um, located on our campus that was mentioned during those beautiful prayers. The meeting was held in person at 7 p.m. on a Thursday night, and as I drove to the church, I was nervous. I worried that the only people who might show up on a school night and a work night would be a few church members and a lot of very angry people. And basically imagine the red screaming faces from any PTA meeting that's gone viral over the last few years, and that's the scenario I had in my head. So I pulled into the parking lot and it was full. Hmm. A line stretched out the door of the fellowship hall. Hmm. I spotted Nancy Gaffney taking the names and emails of the many who'd come to attend and there was Ariel Hart behind me in line and I was so glad that at least there'd be a few people representing North Decatur. I walked into the fellowship hall. It was packed mostly with supporters of the fridge from all over the metro area, every seat taken, people standing in the back. I spotted David Lewicki, who was facilitating the meeting. There was Erica Myers, who helped bring the fridge to our campus. There was Mark Cochran, in walked Rusty Godwin. There was Brock Savage, there was Kate Mosley, there was Jesse Bowen, there was Dee Rayside, there was Alice and Woody Hickox. 
There was Nib Stroop and Caroline Leach. There was Beth Waltemass. Everywhere I looked, I saw someone from North Decatur. During the meeting, one woman stood and said that she heard that the church members wanted the fridge to close. David asked, who in this room is a member of North Decatur? And at least 20 hands shot up. And who among the members wants the free fridge to stay? 20 hands remained high. So forgive me if you were there and I didn't name you. I'm sure there were so many of us, I didn't catch everyone. But as I looked around the crowd and I saw so many faces from our beloved church community, I was struck by the realization that I was witnessing Christ's love in action. That people from this church and people from the greater community, including folks who used the fridge, cared so much about keeping it in operation that they were willing to come and stand in solidarity on a Thursday night when there were surely a million other things they needed or wanted to be doing. This, I thought, is love. It's not pie in the sky, but practical, concrete, present. And witnessing this just filled me with real gratitude for our community. So during this stewardship season, I urge you to reflect on what it is that makes you filled with gratitude for North Decatur, and then give from that place of abundance and gratitude. Thank you. Susan, thank you so much. Um, I hope that all of you got actual real mail from the church this week. Did you get real mail, like a big old envelope? <laughs> yeah, so that is the stewardship information for this year. And we're hoping that you open it, first of all. Uh, and we're also hoping that you read it and that you pray over it and that you figure out what it is that you can offer to this community over the coming year. Uh, we certainly uh, covet your financial gifts. Uh, we covet your pledges of time and talent. Uh, we covet your prayers and, um, and your attendance and your physical presence as this church tries to embody uh, the love of God for our community and for the world. Uh, we are going to dedicate our pledges on November 13th, so there's not an infinite amount of time that we give you uh, to, to deliberate over this but please do so, uh, and however you respond, do so with great, great love. I want to invite you also, uh, you saw the video, many of you, as you walked in uh, the, uh, for our Haiti Eco Village School Partnership. Um, uh, what can I say about, uh, about Haiti right now? Um, it has uh, just been a, a very, very difficult and complicated place to be. And we have had a, an incredibly rich relationship with a community in the highlands of Haiti uh, for, it's coming on a decade or so uh, since the earthquake. And uh, we continue to be in faithful partnership with that school and that community. Uh, we had hoped that we would be ending the partnership by now, uh, that we would have done uh, what we needed to do, but we're not there yet. They have asked us to continue to provide some support to keep that school, uh, and which is really at the center of that community, to keep it going. So please uh, be generous. The Change for Change offering in the month of October uh, is all given to our, uh, our eco-village school in Haiti. Uh, please ask you to give generously. Uh, however you offer yourself, whether it's through money or through your time, through your love for the people next to you, uh, do it with gladness and do it with joy. 
Let's finish our time of worship by singing. Will you rise in body or spirit and let us sing together? <laughs>